The views and opinions expressed on the podcast are those of the host and the persons appearing on the podcast. These views do not reflect the views or opinions of any college, university, or institution the host or their guests may be affiliated with. Today on Child Welfare Chronicles, we have a guest speaker. We have our friend Hannah, who's a foster parent. Today, Hannah's going to talk about her experiences as a foster parent as well as her experience with dealing with the child welfare system. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're excited to have you here. So Hannah, can you give us a little bit of background on what made you become a foster parent? Sure. So originally, this is going back a long time, probably 2004, I wanted to become a foster parent to grow my family. I think a lot of people decided to become foster parents to grow their family. So I was a single mother and had one son. And we went through the training um, to become certified to become a foster home. And then at that time, I decided to go away to graduate school. So we never actually took any placements at that time. Mm. Um, and then I, when I was in graduate school, I met my husband and had two more of my own children, biological children. And I told my husband at the time that this was something that I wanted to do. So, you know, fair warning. But <laughs> he, he wasn't quite ready yet. And we had the two little ones. So as they got bigger, um, he... He came around to the idea he was ready to do it when they were probably about um, maybe 10 and 12. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we that we then as a family went through the training again and we got certified as a foster family. But by that time, my thinking on, on why I was going to be a foster parent had changed. I definitely did not want to grow my family any further. <laughs> you know, three was good. Um, but just really had learned more through the process of becoming, of mm -hmm. being certified the first time, I learned more about what fostering really is. And so really wanted to do it to help children and give them a safe mm -hmm. place to be. What process did you have to take to become a foster parent? So it's a very long, detailed process. Mm -hmm. um, and it took some doing. I actually had to call for information several times um, mm -hmm. before, because the follow through unfortunately wasn't great. But um, actually, that was difficult to understand because we always hear how we're, we need more foster parents. But, you know, after I finally got in touch with somebody, we got enrolled in the information session. It was an, like a one-hour meeting. There were probably 10 to 12 other people there. Mm -hmm. And at that meeting, they explained the process. Okay. So they gave us paperwork, and they told us, okay, after you return the paperwork, then the next step is to be assigned a home finder who will walk you through the next steps. So they talk to you a lot about process in that information mm -hmm. session. They don't talk as much about like life as a foster parent. So that's the first step, and the paperwork is like medical forms, financial information. They ask mm -hmm. you for references. So once you do that initial paperwork and you get your home finder, they make sure your, all your paperwork is done. And then they come to your home, they interview you. They get very detailed background information from you. So they talk mm -hmm. to you about what your home life was growing up, mm -hmm. what kind of supports you have now. They actually do like a whole map of, of your oh, resources wow. mm -hmm. you okay. can draw upon. Yeah, and it's, it's actually a really good thing that they do mm -hmm. because foster parenting is not like a solo sport. You actually mm -hmm. have to have people that you can draw on for help. Um, and then you get enrolled in MAP training. Okay. MAP training, I think it's like eight to 10 weeks. Um, mm -hmm. It's an evening, the way we did it was an evening class. It was like three hours, you're with other parents who are wanting to become foster parents. And they talk to you about, um, you know, what, what foster parenting is gonna be like. They kind of walk you through um, what brings kids into foster care. They talk to you about like positive discipline techniques. Mm -hmm. And during that time, they the trainers are also evaluating you and your family and whether they think that you guys are gonna be appropriate to mm -hmm. be foster parents. Do they give you feedback during that time? So like if they notice 
you know, oh, maybe you kind of squeamed when we talked about this topic. Like, do they have conversations with you about that? They do one-on-one. So those visits okay. to your house, they might follow up with you and say, hey, I noticed when we talked about this, you really seem to have an aha moment about this mm-hmm. about your family. So, yeah, they absolutely do. And they're they're keeping close notes. And I don't think I realized how close notes they were taking <laughs> until we had one of those aha moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it's, it's kind of funny because our, our, um, our home finder, she – it was just kind of funny because um, we had an aha moment of fa- about the fact that we are what they call a naked family. So mm. we, you know, we're naked around our kids. Like we come out of the shower, walk to our room and get dressed and we don't mm-hmm. wear robes and we go to the bathroom with the door open. And like, mm-hmm. I never thought about it. I grew up in that kind of family too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like we were talking about in the class with foster kids coming in, they may not come from that kind of family. They may have had traumas. And so we needed to cover up. And that was a big aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, we're a naked family. (laughs) (laughs) And I had this big aha moment in the class. And um, and so when our home finder came to our house, she was having a big giggle about it. You know how this is a big (laughs) aha moment. Because it was, you know, you don't, when you grow up with it, you don't really think Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so key learnings. That's funny. That's, you know, like, because you you don't. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we just go our day to day. So, I mean, it's awesome that they bring that to you because you're just like, oh, take a step back. And as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, we do some of that too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, and, 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 and it's the same not thing. bad. It's just different from yes. what other people. And so now with our current placement, because we've got older kids, I make sure that I'm always in the mm-hmm. room. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask a follow-up question. You said that the um, process is challenging or is it hard? The faucet when you yes. you said that they take um, they ask you for a lot of paperwork you yes. have to do a lot of paperwork they ask you for a lot of detail yes would you say that it's challenging or a difficult process I would say for us it was difficult because you know neither my husband or I had necessarily an easy childhood and mm-hmm. so you do have to revisit some of that and you need to be ready to know that if you had trauma in your past that what those triggers are mm-hmm. and Got you. you know what you might be ready to deal with what might be brought up for you when you have a child in your home mm-hmm. and maybe had a similar experience. Um, so those can be strengths, actually, because, you know, you can identify better with a child who maybe has suffered some abuse and you suffered that and you've mm-hmm. come through it. And so you maybe have some coping techniques or some mm-hmm. experience and you can share that with the child. But also you need to be prepared for what that's going to bring up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. I think that's an important part of being prepared to be a foster parent because um, if you went into it without that preparation, that would not be good. Mm-hmm. Totally understand. Would you say that it would be challenging for families of color, of uh, different um, ethnicities? Yeah, no, I definitely think that there's unique challenges for families of color because of just all the system involvement. Mm-hmm. I think that system involvement is going to be uniquely traumatizing for families of color. So from the foster parent side, being a foster parent as a family of color, I think would probably be uniquely traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that any kind of recruitment campaign needs to be cognizant of that and take that mm-hmm. into account for sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Of course. So our next question that we have for you is what challenges have you faced as a foster parent personally and not personally? Hmm. Um, <laughs> Pretty loaded question, huh? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a great question. I personally think that, um, that we don't give enough credence to the emotional toll that foster parenting brings with it. I feel like, right, we can do a better job of preparing our foster parents for that emotional, Mm -hmm. emotional cost. Mm -hmm. Um, There are traumas involved with, with being a foster parent. Um, So for example, like once a child is placed in my home, 
that's my child. Mm -hmm. This is just how I am, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't speak for other foster parents, um, but I know for my husband and I, that's my child. And I will advocate for that child as fiercely as I will for any of the children that mm -hmm. I gave birth to. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that I'm going to be interfacing with their caseworkers and their teachers and their counselors and mm -hmm. their daycare center. And as parents, I'm sure you guys know that there's frustrations inherent yes. in advocating yes, for your child, right? <laughs> and so you take on those frustrations and then you add in court and mm -hmm. uncertainty and the fact that foster parents are very often not looped into any information about what's going on with their child's case. And when you love someone, as I love my foster children, and as you want what's best for them, the uncertainty can be very, very, mm -hmm. very difficult to deal with. I don't know what's happening for my foster child. I don't know if they're going to be in my house for two more days or two more years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether to go out and buy them winter coats or boots or buy a double stroller for my twins. Um, and uncertainty is, is tough. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and that is this is all above and beyond the fact that you may become very emotionally attached to mm -hmm. children as you should. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and so often, so often when I tell somebody a foster, that I'm a foster parent, the very first thing I hear is, oh I couldn't do that, I would get too attached. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, you know, on the on the surface, you think, well, what do you think I am, a psychopath? Like, of course, I'm attached to these children. Um, I have emotions too, but you have to get attached to them because mm -hmm. you're. First of all, they're very engaging. They're wonderful. I love mm -hmm. children, um, but you also like children deserve secure attachments. Mm -hmm. They do, right? And the reason that they're with you is because for some reason their parent mm -hmm. is not able to give them that secure attachment yes. right now. So you, that's what you're there to do. That's the job. Um, and so when that attachment is eventually disrupted because they're returned to their parents, which is the point, mm -hmm. um, I am going to suffer mm -hmm. because it means I'm doing it right. So I think we need to do a better job of preparing mm -hmm. foster parents for that. I agree. Do they offer anything to foster parents, like kind of like um, basically a place to process that after? Like do you have any kind of like transitional planning like is it just really one day they're here next day they're gone uh they unfortunately do not do a strong enough job of mm -hmm. um, supporting tr these foster parents through that grief process in fact that's a discussion i just had with a group of foster parents recently mm -hmm. um one of the foster parents uh, the family just reunified mm -hmm. so the children were returned to their parents which is wonderful and that's a cause for joy for them mm -hmm. and it's a cause of just tremendous grief for mm -hmm. the foster parents. Mm -hmm. And whether you were expecting to adopt those children or not, it's you were attached to them and that is a loss. And there's not a lot of space for grieving. There's not a lot of preparation for mm -hmm. grieving. And I've asked actually, um, you know, why don't we do a better job of telling mm -hmm. foster parents what to expect? Or um, even in our recruitment process, why don't we front load folks? Mm -hmm. And I've been told it's because we don't want to scare people off because we have a hard enough time, right, recruiting foster parents. And I think that's, um, that's short-sighted mm -hmm. because for a number of different reasons, but um, we have a lot of foster parents who are one and done. And I think part of the reason that that happens is because we we are, as foster parents, we're traumatized when mm -hmm. these children that we're attached to go home because we don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And if we could just be prepared and, mm -hmm. and empowered with some tools to deal with that grief, we might mm -hmm. be ready to go through it again because we see the benefit mm -hmm. of it. Um, but by not preparing people because we don't want to scare them off, 
we're just sending them into battle completely yep. unprotected. And I really liked how you talked about the one and done because that was going to be my next question. Like, I would think as a person, I'm a planner. Like, I know you can't plan for everything, right. but from my own childhood stuff and the way that I've gone through, like, I need to know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not expecting that and I come home one day to, by the way, we're coming at 6 o'clock to pick up the baby, I'd be like, well, what do you mean you're coming at 6 o'clock? Right. Like, I need that process. So literally be that quick. I could yeah. see, you know, being like, you know what, I can't do this because my own mental health. Yeah. So I think that's that's so important to bring to the table of, like, with recruitment, I think transparency is just so important essential like I think it's essential to mm -hmm. really starting the relationship off strong right because mm -hmm. communication is important in any relationship yes, right yeah. um but also preparing the foster parents for what's to come and and it literally does happen that quickly so if a, if a placement is going to disrupt because for some reason the the county or mm -hmm. the agency doesn't feel like we're a good fit for these children anymore they don't think things are going well mm -hmm. we get a 10-day notice or okay. if we ask that the children be removed because we can't handle it anymore, we don't feel like we're a good fit for those children, we can ask that they removed and we need to give a 10-day notice. Mm -hmm. However, when court orders reunification, that's immediate. Mm -hmm. So there is literally no notice. So court can happen at 2.30 and by 5, mm -hmm. that child is no longer my child. Wow. Yes. That's almost like a death. Yeah. It is. And I can tell you, as a caseworker, I have, unfortunately, I definitely have been on that side as the worker. Being in court, saying the kids are going home, mm -hmm. and at the foster parents' house, and having to remove the kids. And they're devastated in yes. many cases, mm -hmm. I'm sure. The child is devastated. Yes. Because some parents are not even really ready. They want to just prove that they're doing better. Right. And, and so, I've been in that situation. So with my my first placement, who mm -hmm. um, for you know many different reasons um, we thought m might have stayed with us, of mom, you know by the grace of God did better mm -hmm. and was able to um, experience a full recovery and was able to regain custody of her. Um, but there, the court wanted because I think of COVID to accelerate his return mm -hmm. without adequate preparation. And I explain because I have a great relationship with mom, mm -hmm. and I explained to her why we objected to his return because when the, when the court ordered his return without any visits with mm -hmm. her unsupervised without any overnights, um, and I, I called her and I said, you know, honey, I want to explain to you why we're objecting. It's mm -hmm. not because we're trying to keep your baby, and it's not because we don't want him to come home to you. Mm -hmm. It's because we want him to be ready, and we want you to be ready. Mm -hmm. Because when he comes home, he needs to stay with you forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because he can't handle coming back to us again because he loves you too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He will be broken. Mm -hmm. So we need you to be 100% ready, and mm -hmm. I don't think you're ready yet, and I know he's not ready yet. So... She understood, and she said, no, I, I get it. I'm, I don't know why they ordered that either. I want him home, but, you know, I need a little time. And so by doing that, um, I don't know that the court cared that we objected, but I know that for mm -hmm. some reason they decided to order some overnights. Okay. Um, and that was harder. Over a series of weeks and a couple mm -hmm. of months, that little boy connected with her. And, mm -hmm. and by the end of it, his grief coming back to us, was over after those weekends was too much for us to bear mm -hmm. and so we were calling the caseworker and saying please let him go to mom mm -hmm. because we can't see him hurting every time he comes mm -hmm. back to us so by going through that cycle full circle mm -hmm. of um 
you know, having our hearts broken that he was leaving and then having our hearts broken that he was staying. Yeah. Um, I think it was really actually therapeutic mm -hmm. because we saw how the system is intended to work mm -hmm. and um, and it's, it's helped us heal. I mean, I really, I really just love how you took that time to talk to that birth parent. I yes. think a lot of times we almost separate foster parents from birth parents and it's like you both have two separate goals and two separate and that's not the case we all have that same goal of reunification and I think because you did that you made her feel at ease of like you know what I really am not ready like I don't I, even have a crib <laughs> right like and I think sometimes you know I can picture as a, a birth parent you're kind of like yeah I want reunification and you're like yes 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 like let's do it mm -hmm. without realizing that immediacy of it and I just want to say, like, you can see in your face as you're talking about how passionate you are. Yes. And I think that that is so wonderful. And that's really, truly what we need to yes. happen because that's, that's how you get those outcomes. Like, that's a success story because he had that opportunity to bond with mom, to build that yes. attachment. And now mom had that chance, get the crib, get the diapers, yeah. get her stuff in order, do what she needed to do without that pressure of, holy cow, now I have this baby full time mm -hmm. and I haven't had him in my care for, you know, who knows how long. Like, it could have been a long time, mm -hmm. right? Yes, like, was. foster care placements are not always just two weeks. Like, it no, could be no. months, years. So that's a huge adjustment. And I think that it's so wonderful that you took that opportunity to really mm -hmm. talk to her. And I, yeah. I think it's good, too, because I can um, tell in your voice, like, you still talk to mom. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Mom is one of my best friends now. And, I get to right, and it's it, and I we laugh about it because you know there were there were times when um, you know when she first came back mm -hmm. um, after her relapse, and she's told me since that she just felt like well I've lost him now, and wow. I might as well just do all the drugs I want because I'm never going to get my baby back, and I've screwed up my life, and it's all downhill from here. So she really went to a dark place, and. Um, and so when you disappear for that long, concurrent planning, right? So yes. the agency workers, even though we've, we've always been focused on, mm -hmm. on foster care and not adoption, they started talking to us about, well, do you, you know, are you open to adopting? And so we started thinking, well, mom's disappeared. I, you know, I, I'm an older mom, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, you know, I love this little guy. He's going to be our son. Mm -hmm. And then mom shows back up. And at that point, I have a picture of myself because I'm like, I need to document this. <laughs> I have a picture of my eyes when I woke up in the morning after I found out that she had wow. come back. And they're swollen almost shut because of the crying. Um, and, you know, not that I was, I was very happy that she was back and she was on the path to recovery, you mm -hmm. know, because she's a lovely person. Um, but I was just, I was grieving for what was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I was grieving for him not being my son. Which sounds silly because you know that's not what I went into it for. But you mm -hmm. just you know your brain mm -hmm. starts to make plans, like you say. Mm -hmm. You know that's how we cope. Um, so it took me a while to get to the place where I was really rooting for her. But because I was because I loved him, that's where my love for her came. Mm -hmm. And I also have to give credit to her for being open to working with me mm -hmm. because she's always been very insightful, mm -hmm. and she's never blamed me. Um, at, you know, she's always recognized that, you know, she even said this, um, that when I had him the very first time, she said, you know, Hannah, I, I get it. You didn't take him from me. Mm -hmm. I did this mm -hmm. and I have to figure this out. And I thought that was very brave and mm -hmm. very honest. And I think her ability to be brave and honest is part of what made it possible for her to recover. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And, and she's a beautiful person and she is a lovely person. And I'm lucky that we went through this because mm -hmm. our family grew 
by three, actually, not even oh. by two, because Aww. she has a little daughter now. Oh, um, so, exciting. Yes, Aww. and we see them every week. That's um, amazing. Oh my gosh. So she even got a family. She does. Like she has that a so Like she comes beautiful. over, she will take naps on my couch and mm -hmm. I will watch her babies and then she will come over and she will help me mm -hmm. so I can take a nap. Um, <laughs> That's beautiful. She, uh, and we text together almost every single day and I see her at least mm -hmm. once a week. I think it's so important how you also talked about mom's courage that it wasn't you as the foster parent like you were there to support you were that natural support to her that helped her but she really was the one that did the work and I think that we don't always identify or recognize the birth parents for the work that they do like you know we kind of are like well the system worked but really that parent worked that parent did that and you were just there to handhold and be that support for her and a cheerleader mm -hmm. um and, and a reminder that you've got this little boy here who loves you mm -hmm. more than anything and he's waiting for you to come get him and you know never ever did did i ever want her to think that i'm here to take your baby mm -hmm. i said that to her at the hospital because one of the things that we did is when we went to the hospital to pick him up i said can i meet mom mm -hmm. and she was there to say goodbye mm -hmm. and they were kind of horrified did they never hear that before? I don't know if they had or not, but I said, I said I wanted to meet mom, and they were like, kind of like, no. <laughs> this should happen more often. Mm -hmm. We would have should. more should people have not coming in and out, even if they come back in and out. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I, I'm, I got you. I'm going to yes. support mm -hmm. you. But my job is just to make sure he's safe. If you get yourself that, to That was exactly it, and that's what I said to her. I said, I can't imagine what you're going through, um, but I, need, I want you to know where he's going to be. He's going to be with us. And we are mm -hmm. going to keep him safe, and we are going to love on him until you can take care of him yourself. Mm -hmm. I just want you to understand that because it may feel like I'm taking your son, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to look her in the eyes and tell her that. And I wanted her to lay eyes on us, too, mm -hmm. to know where he was going to be. Okay. Um, and it was difficult. We had to, like, wait in a waiting room, and they had to, like, arrange things and get permission. <laughs> oh, like, my it felt very transgressive. It really felt like they, they made were, it bigger. Than where it should have just been... It was hey, just a conversation. I just want to say hello. It should have been routine. Right. And it I, should. That's something that should be implemented. Right. And I get it that she was in a very, very dark mm -hmm. place. Like mm -hmm. she had just gotten the worst news of her life mm -hmm. from court. And mm -hmm. she was there to say goodbye. And it, it, But I think that she should have been supported through it. Luckily, her father was there with her. So she mm -hmm. did have some support through it. But if she didn't have a relative there, I think that she should have been supported through it anyway. Because I just think it's important for her to know mm -hmm. that again we're not there to take your baby we're here to mm -hmm. just help him until you can have him back that's why we need parent advocates yes <laughs> yes and also i think something that you said christy was really really interesting and i'm sorry i'm a talker but i'm just no fine, girl, okay no <laughs> we don't give birth parents and i hate that phrase we don't give parents enough credit mm -hmm. Yes. for the work that they do because we expect so much mm -hmm. from parents and I, I heard somebody say this and I'm not going to quote it right um, but you know we come into people's lives and you know we're all parents here um, we are not perfect parents mm -hmm. I think we've all had enough conversations in the past <laughs> yes. right I, I had my I'm practice child fine. and I still sometimes apologize to him <laughs> um, you know I, I, I've gotten better successful, successively and I think I'm pretty decent parent but I don't claim to be perfect by mm -hmm. any stretch um, I'm a work in progress um, but we all accept that about ourselves yes. we're doing mm -hmm. the best we can however if you've had a child removed you have to be a perfect parent mm -hmm. to get that child back yes. you mm -hmm. cannot 
air and you cannot admit weakness, like mm -hmm. you said, yes. you can't admit, I'm not ready for it yet. Give me another week. Right. Right. Because that's saying, oh, well, what's wrong with her? She doesn't yeah. want her baby back. Um, and you, even though you're dealing with a substance use disorder, a mental mm -hmm. health, health issue, disorder. a DV trauma. problem, trauma, you have to get yourself to court. You have to get yourself to your treatment. You have to, um, mm -hmm. maybe without transportation, go across town to mm -hmm. three different places. And you've got to do that all without any support. Mm -hmm. Where I, as a foster parent, get a caseworker who wants to come over and ask me all the time, what can I do for you? How can I support you? Mm -hmm. um, where that caseworker, their attention, because of concurrent planning, is always divided. Mm -hmm. And that's their job, and I'm not mm -hmm. criticizing. They're always concurrently planning because they don't know how the case is going to go. So there's no one there that is just 100% supporting mm -hmm. that parent in doing what they need to do mm -hmm. to get the little one back or the little ones sometimes. Um, and so I think what you were saying, Bernita, is very germane. Like they need parent peer advocates or they need someone who is just 100% mm -hmm. in their corner to help them. Like, oh, hey, you've got, you know, mm -hmm. you've got a an appointment in Amherst mm -hmm. that you need to get to and you're out of tokens, let me see if I can yep. get some tokens for you or yep. let me see if I can give you a ride. Or like my um, beloved friend said when she had um, our beloved boy taken away the first time because she realized, mm -hmm. she's like, I needed someone just to reach out to me and say, you can come back from this. Mm -hmm. You haven't completely screwed up. I needed someone just to tell me there's a way out of mm -hmm. this. And maybe I wouldn't have lost six months mm -hmm. of his life. She needed the hope. She needed she somebody did. to yes. give her hope. Because it felt like it was over to her. Mm -hmm. And when I discussed parent peer advocacy with her and told her I thought she would be amazing at it, mm -hmm. she had um, already described it to me. Mm -hmm. She just didn't have the words mm -hmm. wow. because she needed that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that person needs to be someone who is not a caseworker because they can't be then responsible for reporting every yep. little hiccup every little doubt or fear that's mm -hmm. expressed they you know folks need to be able to be fully human mm -hmm. um, and i don't think we, we do a lot to help people through that i actually have seen a caseworker um actually do both and she did a really good job mm -hmm. and she's a unicorn i bet yeah <laughs> she she did a she advocate she really advocated for her parents she don't work at cps she works in children's services mm -hmm. um and she'll say your child was removed but i'm gonna advocate for you to get your child mm -hmm. back and, that's and when they disappear she sent texts like hey i'm still here mm -hmm. and when i did my internship with her she opened my eyes coming from cps to children's mm -hmm. services to realize you know everybody makes mm -hmm. mistakes and it's not over, as she was saying to the family, mm -hmm. saying, That's and wonderful. give them every bit, and give them all the time that mm -hmm. they need. Absolutely. Do not take no time from them. And yes. I think as a previous CPS worker, I think we need to be trained in it to be more compassionate. Mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't until I started the MSW program that I changed the way I operated and mm -hmm. how I treated my family. Mm -hmm. but, and as you know, most CPS workers are not social workers. Nope, nope. They're, they're trained with like a criminal investigative mindset. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for what you did wrong. Yes. I'm not looking for the strengths. It's more punitive. Yes. Yeah. I want to circle back to what you said about compliance because I actually just read an article about, it was focusing all about shared decision making, especially with um, individuals who have mental health and substance use. And pretty much the author was saying that we hold them to these levels that are unrealistic so to only base their engagement and their progress on compliance especially medication compliance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's really setting them up for failure and that's why they talked more about shifting that mindset to shared decision making which made me trigger about how we do that in child welfare like we hold 
parents accountable to do all these things when sometimes that's not their goal, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes that's just not what they want. Do you think we do enough to focus and let them have a voice in what they want? Or do you feel like we more so tell them and demand that it be done without giving them any kind of leeway to really drive the services? I would say we, we are very good at telling them what they need to do. I mean, mm-hmm. from what I understand, they're presented with a menu, mm-hmm. and I don't believe we ask them any, we you know, anything about what they want to have on that menu. Do you, do you think we've got enough on here? Do you need help with anything else? I mean, I don't think we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say my experience in treatment court has been that we give parents a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. Yes, treatment court is different from a regular right. family, family court. And they have to... They have to meet certain criteria right. to get to treatment. And they have court. to sign a contract and yes. be compliant. Now, um, my, again, my experience with treatment court is they are very parent focused. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you know, when you're in it and you're the parent, that's wonderful. So, as a foster parent, have you witnessed or experienced any barriers when working with families of color or? persons or families that come from a lower social social economic status? I mean, absolutely. I think that um, a lot of the difficulties that the parents of the kids that we've seen experience are exacerbated by poverty. Mm-hmm. So low socioeconomic status is definitely an issue. I think that, um, you know, there's a correlation between mm-hmm. families of color and poverty. So I see that. Um, I'm trying to think we've not had any we've never had a white child in our home wow i've not thought about that yeah i've not thought about that before but we've just rethinking it to make sure but no do you feel like they prepare you enough for the different cultures that okay (laughs) no but then again because um, we are a home in which we, so we've decided that we wanted to maintain birth order. Mm-hmm. So we only take children that are younger than our youngest. Okay. okay. So every, you know, every year we can take older, but they tend to concentrate us in the younger kids. Mm-hmm. So we've only had little bitties. Mm-hmm. And um, I think culture is not as important for people in diapers. Mm-hmm. Not that it isn't important, but, you know, I'm not explaining different cultural practices. Mm-hmm you know, to a 13-month-old, like I would to a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. um, you know, and representation and all the things that I would want to mm-hmm. honor, religious practices, you know, cultural traditions. Um, it's just not as present mm-hmm. with the youngsters. Um, but if I did have an older child and I needed to, and I felt like I needed to do that, I don't feel well-prepared mm-hmm. at all. Um, that's just not something that I remember coming up in our training. There may be trainings out there that I could seek out, and that's on me. I should do that, mm-hmm. um, and I, <laughs> I definitely would. <laughs> I, I, I laugh because I swear I spend the first two to three weeks of any placement learning about whatever I think the new thing is. Like, oh, if I think this kid has FASD, I'm like, okay, I'm now an expert on FASD because I have spent 30 hours on Google reading everything mm-hmm. I can find. Or, oh, I think this child might have an attachment disorder. Let me look up everything mm-hmm. I can, you know. So I would definitely seek that out if, um, if mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to do that. So I wanted to ask you a question as an um, African-American. And, you know, we're friends. And <laughs> I think I brought this up before. Do you? How do you feel, say, if you get... Um, a child of color, mm-hmm. and this is just me, yeah. with a different hair texture. 
I watched the video of uh, a white foster mom, and I shared this with you guys before. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I don't know, but I want to teach myself, and we're going to learn together. So how does that resonate with you? That was exactly team? what happened with me. And I felt a lot of pressure with... Um, so my beloved baby boy had hair texture like mine. Mm -hmm. So I was not presented with that challenge with my first long placement. Mm -hmm. We're in our second long placement now, and in between we had shorter placements. All of those littles had African-American hair. Mm -hmm. And I felt a lot of pressure to do it right. Mm -hmm. Because I did not want to take a little man out in public and have his hair not be on point mm -hmm. and be looked at like you're not taking care of your baby. Mm -hmm. um, as a white woman, I'm a white presenting woman and I had African-American baby boys mm -hmm. and I wanted them to look right. So I did a lot of research because that's what I do, I <laughs> right? So I spent a lot of time on YouTube tutorials and foster parent, um, mm -hmm. you know, Facebook pages and websites. And I, um, I got different products, and I tried the different products on little man's hair, mm -hmm. and I came to some products that I think work well, and I kind of practiced with some styles. So it's hard. I have to laugh, though, because I have to laugh, because with our current littles, um, the first video call with mom, first thing out of her mouth is, what is going on with your hair? <laughs> yes. And the reason why I asked, because being an African, y'all know, y'all tease me all the time, like, okay, Bernita, with the hairstyle you have this sweet. <laughs> That our hair is our is a big it's thing. A big deal. It's a big deal yeah. in our culture. Do you have anything else that you feel like the child welfare system could do better for foster parents or for parents who are looking to reunify? Oh boy, I mean, that's, that's a big list. Um, I guess top of mind really is just prepare foster parents for what they're going to experience. Inform mm -hmm. them the best you can about what's going on with the cases because you know that uncertainty of not knowing is so difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I think some grief resources and just recognizing the grief that mm -hmm. foster parents go through, um, and recognizing that you know even those of us who are not here to grow our families, we still go through the grief. Mm -hmm. And and literally, if we're not going through the grief, we're not doing this right. Mm -hmm. So you know arm us with some tools to deal with that mm -hmm. and support us through it. I think all of that would be great. Um, and then absolutely for the parents that are going through this, you know, I think we need to locate services in neighborhoods where mm -hmm. those parents live because you know, our transportation system is not adequate to getting them where they need to go. Um, when we were a one-car family, just trying to get around with kids was a challenge. So mm -hmm. I recognize that, you know, it's really hard to get to you know, where mental health counseling happens or where substance treatment mm -hmm. happens. And then, God forbid that you're on methadone mm -hmm. um, and trying to get to that with little kids. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that is a lot. And, you know, just I, I think if we can all give each other a little more grace, mm -hmm. we could all come out of this better. Mm -hmm. I agree. Thank you, Hannah, for being our guest for today's show. Well, guys, we have come to the end of this podcast. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Child Welfare Chronicles and on Twitter at CW Chronicles. You could also send us an email at childwelfarechronicles at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast are those of the host and the persons appearing on the podcast. These views do not reflect the views or opinions of any college, university, or institution the host or their guests may be affiliated with. Today, 
on Child Welfare Chronicles, we have a guest speaker. We have our friend Hannah, who's a foster parent. Today, Hannah's going to talk about her experiences as a foster parent, as well as her experience with dealing with the child welfare system. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're excited to have you here. So Hannah, can you give us a little bit of background on what made you become a foster parent? Sure. So originally, this is going back a long time, probably 2004, I wanted to become a foster parent to grow my family. I think a lot of people decided to become foster parents to grow their family. So I was a single mother and had one son and we went through the training um, to become certified to become a foster home. And then at that time, I decided to go away to graduate school. So we never actually took any placements at that time. Mm. Um, and then I, when I was in graduate school, I met my husband and had two more of my own children, biological children. And I told my husband at the time that this was something that I wanted to do. So, you know, fair warning. But <laughs> he, he wasn't quite ready yet. And we had the two little ones. So as they got bigger, um, he, he came around to the idea he was ready to do it when they were probably about... Um, maybe 10 and 12. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we that we then as a family went through the training again and we got certified as a foster family. But by that time, my thinking on, on why I was going to be a foster parent had changed. I definitely did not want to grow my family any further. <laughs> you know, three was good. Um, but just really had learned more through the process of becoming, of mm -hmm. being certified the first time. I learned more about what fostering really is and so really wanted to do it to help children and give them a safe mm -hmm. place to be. What process did you have to take to become a foster parent? So it's a very long detailed process mm -hmm. um, and it took some doing. I actually had to call for information several times um, mm -hmm. before because the follow-through unfortunately wasn't great but um, actually that was difficult to understand because we always hear how we're, we need more foster parents but, you know, after I finally got in touch with somebody, we got enrolled in the information session. It was an, like a one-hour meeting. There were probably 10 to 12 other people there. Mm -hmm. And at that meeting, they explained the process. Okay. So they gave us paperwork, and they told us, okay, after you return the paperwork, then the next step is to be assigned a home finder who will walk you through the next step. So they talk to you a lot about process in that information mm -hmm. session. They don't talk as much about like life as a foster parent. So that's the first step. And the paperwork is like medical forms, financial information. They ask mm -hmm. for references. So once you do that initial paperwork and you get your home finder, they make sure your, all your paperwork is done. And then they come to your home, they interview you. They get very detailed background information from you. So they talk mm -hmm. to you about what your home life was growing up, mm -hmm. what kind of supports you have now. They actually do like a whole map of, of your oh, wow. resources mm -hmm. that you okay. can draw upon. Yeah, and it's it's actually a really good thing that they do mm -hmm. because foster parenting is not like a solo sport. You actually mm -hmm. have to have people that you can draw on for help. Um, and then you get enrolled in MAP training. Okay. MAP training, I think it's like eight to 10 weeks. Um, mm -hmm. It's an evening, the way we did it was an evening class. It was like three hours, you're with other parents who are wanting to become foster parents. And they talk to you about, um, you know, what, what foster parenting is gonna be like. They kind of walk you through um, what brings kids into foster care. They talk to you about like positive discipline techniques. Mm -hmm. And during that time, they the trainers are also evaluating you and your family and whether they think that you guys are gonna be appropriate to mm -hmm. be foster parents. Do they give you feedback during that time? So like if they notice, you know, oh, maybe you kind of squeamed when we talked about this topic. Like, do they have conversations with you about that? They do one-on-one. -on -one. So those visits okay. to your house, they might 
follow up with you and say, hey, I noticed when we talked about this, you really seem to have an aha moment about this mm -hmm. about your family. So yeah, they absolutely do. And they're they're keeping close notes. And I don't think I realized how close notes they were taking <laughs> until we had one of those aha moments. Mm -hmm. um, I, and it's it's kind of funny because our, our, um, our home finder, she, it was just kind of funny because um, we had an aha moment of about the fact that we are what they call a naked family. So hmm. we, you know, we're naked around our kids. Like we come out of the shower and walk to our room and get dressed and we don't mm -hmm. wear robes and we go to the bathroom with the door open. And like, mm -hmm. I never thought about it. I grew up in that kind of family too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like we were talking about in the class with foster kids coming in, they may not come from that kind of family. They may have had traumas. And so we needed to cover up. And that was a big aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, we're a naked family. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I had this big aha moment in the class. And, um, and so when our home finder came to our house, she was having a big giggle about it. You know how this is a big That's aha hard. moment. Because it was, you know, you don't, when you grow up with it, you don't really think mm -hmm. about no. it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so key learnings. That's funny. That's, yeah. you know, like, because you, you don't. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we just go our day to day. So, I mean, it's awesome that they bring that to you because you're just like, oh, take a step back. And as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, we do some of that too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, and, 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 and it's the same not thing. bad. It's just different from yes. what other people. And so now with our current placement, because we've got older kids, I make sure that I'm always in mm -hmm. the room. <laughs> so I wanted to ask a follow-up question. You said that the um, process is challenging or is it hard? The faucet when you yes. you said that they take um, they ask you for a lot of paperwork. You yes. have to do a lot of paperwork. They ask you for a lot of detail. Yes. Would you say that it's challenging or a difficult process? I would say for us it was difficult because you know neither my husband or I had necessarily an easy childhood, and mm -hmm. so you do have to revisit some of that, and you need to be ready to know that if you had trauma in your past that what those triggers are, mm -hmm. and Got you. you know what you might be ready to deal with what might be brought up for you when you have a child in your home mm -hmm. and maybe had a similar experience. Um, so those can be strengths, actually, because, you know, you can identify better with a child who maybe has suffered some abuse and you suffered that and you've mm -hmm. come through it. And so you maybe have some coping techniques or some mm -hmm. experience and you can share that with the child. But also you need to be prepared for what that's going to bring up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. I think that's an important part of being prepared to be a foster parent because um, if you went into it without that preparation, that would not be good. Mm -hmm. Totally understand. Would you say that it would be challenging for families of color, of uh, different um, ethnicities? Yeah, no, I definitely think that there's unique challenges for families of color because of just all the system involvement. Mm -hmm. I think that system involvement is going to be uniquely traumatizing for families of color. So from the foster parent side, being a foster parent as a family of color, I think would probably be uniquely traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I think that any kind of recruitment campaign needs to be cognizant of that and take that mm -hmm. into account for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Of course. So our next question that we have for you is what challenges have you faced as a foster parent personally and not personally? Hmm. Um, Pretty loaded question, huh? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a great question. I personally think that, um, that we don't give enough credence to the emotional toll that foster parenting brings with it. I feel I like, right, we can do a better job of preparing our foster parents for that emotional, mm -hmm. emotional cost. Mm -hmm. um, there are traumas involved with, with being a foster parent. Um, so for example, like once a child is placed in my home, that's my child. 
Mm -hmm. This is just how I am, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't speak for other foster parents, um, but I know for my husband and I, that's my child. And I will advocate for that child as fiercely as I will for any of the children that mm -hmm. I gave birth to. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that I'm going to be interfacing with their caseworkers and their teachers and their counselors and mm -hmm. their daycare center. And as parents, I'm sure you guys know that there's frustrations inherent yes. in advocating yes, for your child, is. right? <laughs> and so you take on those frustrations and then you add in court and mm -hmm. uncertainty and the fact that foster parents are very often not looped into any information about what's going on with their child's case. And when you love someone, as I love my foster children, and as you want what's best for them, the uncertainty can be very, very, mm -hmm. very difficult to deal with. I don't know what's happening for my foster child. I don't know if they're gonna be in my house for two more days or two more years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether to go out and buy them winter coats or boots or buy a double stroller for my twins. Um, and uncertainty is, is tough. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and that is this is all above and beyond the fact that you may become very emotionally attached to mm -hmm. children as you should. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and so often, so often when I tell somebody a foster, that I'm a foster parent, the very first thing I hear is, oh, I couldn't do that, I would get too attached. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, you know, on the, on the surface, you think, well, what do you think I am, a psychopath? Like, I'm <laughs> attached to these children. Um, I have emotions too. But you have to get attached to them because mm -hmm. you're, first of all, they're very engaging, they're wonderful, I love mm -hmm. children. Um, but you also, like, children deserve secure attachments. Mm -hmm. Right? And the reason that they're with you is because for some reason their parent mm -hmm. is not able to give them that secure attachment yes. right now. So you, that's what you're there to do. That's the job. Um, and so when that attachment is eventually disrupted because they're returned to their parents, which is the point, mm -hmm. um, I am going to suffer mm -hmm. because it means I'm doing it right. So I think we need to do a better job of preparing mm -hmm. foster parents for that. I agree. Do they offer anything to foster parents, like kind of like um, basically a place to process that after? Like, do you have any kind of like transitional planning? Like, is it just really one day they're here, next day they're gone? Uh, they unfortunately do not do a strong enough job of mm -hmm. um, supporting tr these foster parents through that grief process. In fact, that's a discussion I just had with a group of foster parents recently. Mm -hmm. um, one of the foster parents, uh, the family just reunified. Mm -hmm. So the children were returned to their parents, which is wonderful. And that's a cause for joy for them. Mm -hmm. And it's a cause of just tremendous grief for mm -hmm. the foster parents. Mm -hmm. And whether you were expecting to adopt those children or not, it's you were attached to them and that is a loss. And there's not a lot of space for grieving. There's not a lot of preparation for mm -hmm. grieving. And I've asked actually, um, you know, why don't we do a better job of telling mm -hmm. foster parents what to expect? Or um, even in our recruitment process, why don't we front load folks? Mm -hmm. And I've been told it's because we don't want to scare people off because we have a hard enough time, right, recruiting foster parents. And I think that's, um, that's short-sighted. Mm -hmm. It is. Because, for a number of different reasons, but um, we have a lot of foster parents who are one and done. And I think part of the reason that that happens is because we we are, as foster parents, we're traumatized when mm -hmm. these children that we're attached to go home because we don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And if we could just be prepared and, mm -hmm. and empowered with some tools to deal with that grief, we might mm -hmm. be ready to go through it again because we see the benefit mm -hmm. of it. Um, but by not preparing people because we don't want to scare them off, 
we're just sending them into battle completely yep. unprotected. And I really liked how you talked about the one and done because that was going to be my next question. Like, I would think as a person, I'm a planner. Like, I know you can't plan for everything, right. but from my own childhood stuff and the way that I've gone through, like, I need to know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not expecting that and I come home one day to, by the way, we're coming at 6 o'clock to pick up the baby, I'd be like, well, what do you mean you're coming at 6 o'clock? Right. Like, I need that process. So literally be that quick. I could yeah. see, you know, being like, you know what, I can't do this because my own mental health. Yeah. So I think that's that's so important to bring to the table of, like, with recruitment, I think transparency is just so important essential like I think it's essential to mm -hmm. really starting the relationship off strong right because mm -hmm. communication is important in any relationship yes, it is. right yeah. um but also preparing the foster parents for what's to come and and it literally does happen that quickly so if a, if a placement is going to disrupt because for some reason the the county or mm -hmm. the agency doesn't feel like we're a good fit for these children anymore they don't think things are going well mm -hmm. we get a 10-day notice or okay. if we ask that the children be removed because we can't handle it anymore, we don't feel like we're a good fit for those children, we can ask that they be removed and we need to get a 10-day notice. Mm -hmm. However, when court orders reunification, that's immediate. Mm -hmm. So there is literally no notice. So court can happen at 2.30 and by 5, mm -hmm. that child is no longer my child. Wow. Yes. That's almost like a death. Yeah. It is. And I can tell you, as a caseworker, I have, unfortunately, I definitely have been on that side as the worker. Being in court, saying the kids are going home, mm -hmm. and at the foster parents' house, and having to remove the kids. And they're devastated in yes. many cases, mm -hmm. I'm sure. The child is devastated. Yes. But some parents are not even really ready. They want to just prove that they're doing better. Right. And, and so, I've been in that situation. So with my my first placement, who mm -hmm. um, for you know many different reasons um, we thought m might have stayed with us, of mom, you know by the grace of God did better mm -hmm. and was able to um, experience a full recovery and was able to regain custody of her. Um, but there the court wanted because I think of COVID to accelerate his return mm -hmm. without adequate preparation. And I explain because I have a great relationship with mom, mm -hmm. and I explained to her why we objected to his return because when the, when the court ordered his return without any visits with mm -hmm. her unsupervised without any overnights, um, and I, I called her and I said, you know, honey, I want to explain to you why we're objecting. It's mm -hmm. not because we're trying to keep your baby, and it's not because we don't want him to come home to you. Mm -hmm. It's because we want him to be ready, and we want you to be ready mm -hmm. because when he comes home, he needs to stay with you forever. Mm -hmm. because he can't handle coming back to us again because he loves you too much. Mm -hmm. He will be broken. Mm -hmm. So we need you to be 100% ready, and mm -hmm. I don't think you're ready yet, and I know he's not ready yet. So she understood, and she mm -hmm. said, no, I, I get it. I'm, I don't know why they ordered that either. I want him home, but, you know, I need a little time. And so by doing that, um, I don't know that the court cared that we objected, but I know that for mm -hmm. some reason, they decided to order some overnights. Okay. Um, and that was harder. Over a series of weeks and a couple mm -hmm. of months, that little boy connected with her. And, mm -hmm. and by the end of it, his grief coming back to us was over, after those weekends was too much for us to bear. Mm -hmm. And so we were calling the caseworker and saying, please let him go to mom mm -hmm. because we can't see him hurting every time he comes mm -hmm. back to us. So by going through that cycle full circle mm -hmm. of um, 
you know, having our hearts broken that he was leaving and then having our hearts broken that he was staying. Yeah. Um, I think it was really actually therapeutic mm -hmm. because we saw how the system is intended to work mm -hmm. and um, and it's, it's helped us heal. I mean, I really, I really just love how you took that time to talk to that birth parent. I yes. think a lot of times we almost separate foster parents from birth parents and it's like you both have two separate goals and two separate and that's not the case we all have that same goal of reunification and I think because you did that you made her feel at ease of like you know what I really am not ready like I don't I, even have a crib <laughs> right like and I think sometimes you know I can picture as a, a birth parent you're kind of like yeah I want reunification and you're like yes 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 like let's do it mm -hmm. without realizing that immediacy of it and I just want to say, like, you can see in your face as you're talking about how passionate you are. Yes. And I think that that is so wonderful. And that's really, truly what we need to yes. happen because that's, that's how you get those outcomes. Like, that's a success story because he had that opportunity to bond with mom, to build that attachment. Yes. And now mom had that chance, get the crib, get the diapers, yeah. get her stuff in order, do what she needed to do without that pressure of, holy cow, now I have this baby full time mm -hmm. and I haven't had him in my care for, you know, who knows how long. Like, it could have been a long time, mm -hmm. right? Yes, like, was. foster care placements are not always just two weeks. Like, it no, could be no. months, years. So that's a huge adjustment. And I think that it's so wonderful that you took that opportunity to really mm -hmm. talk to her. And I, yeah. I think it's good, too, because I can um, tell in your voice, like, you still talk to mom. Oh my gosh! Are you kidding? Mom's <laughs> one of my best friends now. And, I get to right, and it's it, and I we laugh about it because you know there were there were times when um you know when she first came back mm -hmm. um after her relapse and she's told me since that she just felt like well I've lost him now and wow. I might as well just do all the drugs I want because I'm never gonna get my baby back and I've screwed up my life and it's all downhill from here. So she really went to a dark place and um. And so when you disappear for that long, concurrent planning, right? So yes. the agency workers, even though we've, we've always been focused on, mm -hmm. on foster care and not adoption, they started talking to us about, well, do you, you know, are you open to adopting? And so we started thinking, well, mom's disappeared. I, you know, I, I'm an older mom, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, you know, I love this little guy. He's going to be our son. Mm -hmm. And then mom shows back up. And at that point, I have a picture of myself because I'm like, I need to document this. <laughs> I have a picture of my eyes when I woke up in the morning after I found out that she had wow. come back. And they're swollen almost shut because of the crying. Um, and, you know, not that I was, I was very happy that she was back and she was on the path to recovery, you know, mm -hmm. because she's a lovely person. Um, but I was just, I was grieving for what was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I was grieving for him not being my son. Which sounds silly because you know that's not what I went into it for. But you mm -hmm. just you know your brain mm -hmm. starts to make plans, like you say. Mm -hmm. You know that's how we cope. Um, so it took me a while to get to the place where I was really rooting for her. But because I was because I loved him, that's where my love for her came. Mm -hmm. And I also have to give credit to her for being open to working with me mm -hmm. because she's always been very insightful mm -hmm. and she's never blamed me. Um, at, you know, she's always recognized that, you know, she even said this, um, that when I had him the very first time, she said, you know, Hannah, I, I get it. You didn't take him from me. Mm -hmm. I did this mm -hmm. and I have to figure this out. And I thought that was very brave and mm -hmm. very honest. And I think her ability to be brave and honest is part of what made it possible for her to recover. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And, and she's a beautiful person and she is a lovely person. And I'm lucky that we went through this because mm -hmm. our family grew 
by three, actually, not even oh. by two, because Aww. she has a little daughter now. Oh, uh, so, exciting. Yes, Aww. and we see them every week. That's amazing. Um, oh my gosh. So she even got a family. She does. Like she has that is so Like she comes beautiful. over, she will take naps on my couch and mm -hmm. I will watch her babies and then she will come over and she will help me mm -hmm. so I can take a nap. Um, <laughs> That's beautiful. She uh, and we text together almost every single day and I see her at least mm -hmm. once a week. I think it's so important how you also talked about mom's courage that it wasn't you as the foster parent like you were there to support you were that natural support to her that helped her but she really was the one that did the work and I think that we don't always identify or recognize the birth parents for the work that they do like you know we kind of are like well the system worked but really that parent worked that parent did that and you were just there to handhold and be that support for her and a cheerleader mm -hmm. um and, and a reminder that you've got this little boy here who loves you mm -hmm. more than anything and he's waiting for you to come get him and you know never ever did did i ever want her to think that i'm here to take your baby mm -hmm. i said that to her at the hospital because one of the things that we did is when we went to the hospital to pick him up i said can i meet mom mm -hmm. and she was there to say goodbye mm -hmm. and they were kind of horrified do they never hear that before? I don't know if they had or not, but Interesting. I, said, I said I wanted to meet mom, and they were like, kind of like, no. <laughs> this should happen more often. Mm -hmm. We would have should. more people have not coming in and out, even if they come back in and out. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I, I'm, I got you. I'm going to yes. support mm -hmm. you. But my job is just to make sure he's safe. If you get yourself that, to... That was exactly it, and that's what I said to her. I said, I can't imagine what you're going through, um, but I, need, I want you to know where he's going to be. He's going to be with us. And we are mm -hmm. going to keep him safe, and we are going to love on him until you can take care of him yourself. Mm -hmm. I just want you to understand that because it may feel like I'm taking your son, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to look her in the eyes and tell her that. And I wanted her to lay eyes on us, too, mm -hmm. to know where he was going to be. Um, and it was difficult. We had to, like, wait in a waiting room, and they had to, like, arrange things and get permission. <laughs> oh, like, it felt very transgressive. It really felt like they, they made were, it bigger than Where it should have just been... It was hey, just a conversation. I just want to say hello. It should have been routine. Right. And it not, should. That's something that should be implemented. Right. And I get it that she was in a very, very dark mm -hmm. place. Like mm -hmm. she had just gotten the worst news of her life mm -hmm. from court. And she mm -hmm. was there to say goodbye. And it, it, but I think that she should have been supported through it. Luckily, her father was there with her. So she mm -hmm. did have some support through it. But if she didn't have a relative there, I think that she should have been supported through it anyway. Because I just think it's important for her to know mm -hmm. that again we're not there to take your baby we're here to mm -hmm. just help him until you can have him back that's why we need parent advocates yes <laughs> yes and also i think something that you said christy was really really interesting and i'm sorry i'm a talker but i'm just not no here, okay no <laughs> we don't give birth parents and i hate that phrase we don't give parents enough credit mm -hmm. Yes. for the work that they do because we expect so much mm -hmm. from parents. And I, I heard somebody say this, and I'm not going to quote it right, um, but, you know, we come into people's lives, and, you know, we're all parents here. Um, we are not perfect parents. Mm -hmm. I think we've all had enough conversations in the past, <laughs> yes. right? I, I had my I'm practice child, and I still sometimes apologize to him. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've gotten better successful, successively, and I think I'm a pretty decent parent, but I don't claim to be perfect mm -hmm. by any stretch. Um, I'm a work in progress. Um, but we all accept that about ourselves. Yes. We're doing the best we can. However, if you've had a child removed, you have to be a perfect parent mm -hmm. to get that child back. Yes. You mm -hmm. cannot 
air and you cannot admit weakness, like mm -hmm. you said, yes. you can't admit, I'm not ready for it yet. Give me another week. Right. Right. Because that's saying, oh, well, what's wrong with her? She doesn't yeah. want her baby back. Um, and you, even though you're dealing with a substance use disorder, a mental mm -hmm. health, health issue, disorder. a DV trauma. problem, trauma, you have to get yourself to court. You have to get yourself to your treatment. You have to, um, mm -hmm. maybe without transportation, go across town to mm -hmm. three different places. And you've got to do that all without any support. Mm -hmm. Where I, as a foster parent, get a caseworker who wants to come over and ask me all the time, what can I do for you? How can I support you? Mm -hmm. um, where that caseworker, their attention, because of concurrent planning, is always divided. Mm -hmm. And that's their job, and I'm not mm -hmm. criticizing. They're always concurrently planning because they don't know how the case is going to go. So there's no one there that is just 100% supporting mm -hmm. that parent in doing what they need to do mm -hmm. to get the little one back or the little ones sometimes. Um, and so I think what you were saying, Bernita, is very germane. Like, they need parent peer advocates or they need someone who is just 100% in mm -hmm. their corner to help them. Like, oh, hey, you've got, you know, mm -hmm. you've got a an appointment in Amherst mm -hmm. that you need to get to and you're out of tokens, let me see if I can yep. get some tokens for you or yep. let me see if I can give you a ride. Or like my um, beloved friend said when she had um, our beloved boy taken away the first time because she relapsed, mm -hmm. she's like, I needed someone just to reach out to me and say, you can come back from this. Mm -hmm. You haven't completely screwed up. I needed someone just to tell me there's a way out of mm -hmm. this. And maybe I wouldn't have lost six months mm -hmm. of his life. She needed the hope. She needed she somebody to yes. give her hope. Because it felt like it was over to her. Mm -hmm. And when I discussed parent peer advocacy with her and told her I thought she would be amazing at it, mm -hmm. um, she had already described it to me. Mm -hmm. She just didn't have the words mm -hmm. because she needed that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that person needs to be someone who is not a caseworker because they can't be then responsible for reporting every yep. little hiccup every little doubt or fear that's mm -hmm. expressed they you know folks need to be able to be fully human mm -hmm. um, and I don't think we, we do a lot to help people through that I actually have seen a caseworker um, actually do both and she did a really good job mm -hmm. and she's a unicorn I bet yeah <laughs> she, she did a she advocate she really advocate for her parents she don't work at CPS she work in children's services mm -hmm. um, and she'll say your child was removed but I'm gonna advocate for you to get your child mm -hmm. back and, that's and when they disappear she sent texts like hey I'm still here mm -hmm. and when I did my internship with her she opened my eyes coming from CPS to children's mm -hmm. services to realize you know everybody makes mm -hmm. mistakes and it's not over, as she was saying to the family, mm -hmm. saying, That's and wonderful. give them every bit, and give them all the time that mm -hmm. they need. Absolutely. Do not take no time from them. And yes. I think as a previous CPS worker, I think we need to be trained in it to be more compassionate. Mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't until I started the MSW program then I changed the way I operated and mm -hmm. how I treated my family. Mm -hmm. but, and as you know, most CPS workers are not social workers. Nope, nope. They're, they're trained with like a criminal investigative mindset. Mind. I'm looking for what you did wrong. Yes. I'm not looking for the strengths. It's more punitive. Yes. Yeah. I want to circle back to what you said about compliance because I actually just read an article about it was focusing all about shared decision making, especially with um, individuals who have mental health and substance use. And pretty much the author was saying that we hold them to these levels that are unrealistic. So to only base their engagement and their progress on compliance, especially medication compliance, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's really setting them up for failure. And that's why they talked more about shifting that mindset to shared decision making, which made me trigger about how we do that in child welfare. Like we hold 
parents accountable to do all these things when sometimes that's not their goal, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes that's just not what they want. Do you think we do enough to focus and let them have a voice in what they want? Or do you feel like we more so tell them and demand that it be done without giving them any kind of leeway to really drive the services? I would say we, we are very good at telling them what they need to do. I mean, mm-hmm. from what I understand, they're presented with a menu. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe we ask them anything, you know, anything about what they want to have on that menu. Do you, do you think we've got enough on here? Do you need help with anything else? I mean, I don't think we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say my experience in treatment court has been that we give parents a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. Yes, treatment court is different from a regular right. family, family, court. family court. And they have to... They have to meet certain criteria right. to get the treatment. And they have court. to sign a contract and yes. be compliant. Now, um, my, again, my experience with treatment court is they are very parent focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're in it and you're the parent, that's wonderful. So, as a foster parent, have you witnessed or experienced any barriers when working with families of color or? persons or families that come from a lower social social economic status? I mean, absolutely. I think that um, a lot of the difficulties that the parents of the kids that we've seen experience are exacerbated by poverty. Mm-hmm. So low socioeconomic status is definitely an issue. I think that, um, you know, there's a correlation between mm-hmm. families of color and poverty. So I see that. Um, I'm trying to think we've not had any we've never had a white child in our home wow i've not thought about that interesting yeah i've not thought about that before but we've just rethinking it to make sure but no do you feel like they prepare you enough for the different cultures that okay (laughs) no but then again because um, we are a home in which we, so we've decided that we wanted to maintain birth order. Mm-hmm. So we only take children that are younger than our youngest. Okay. okay. So every, you know, every year we can take older, but they tend to concentrate us in the younger kids. Mm-hmm. So we've only had little bitties. Mm-hmm. And um, I think culture is not as important for people in diapers. Mm-hmm. Not that it isn't important, but, you know, I'm not explaining different cultural practices. Mm-hmm you know, to a 13-month-old, like I would to a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. um, you know, and representation and all the things that I would want to mm-hmm. honor, religious practices, you know, cultural traditions. Um, it's just not as present mm-hmm. with the youngsters. Um, but if I did have an older child and I needed to, you know, I felt like I needed to do that, I don't feel well prepared mm-hmm. at all. Um, that's just not something that I remember coming up in our training. There may be trainings out there that I could seek out, and that's on me. I should do that, mm-hmm. um, and I, <laughs> I definitely would. And <laughs> I, I, I laugh because I swear I spent the first two to three weeks of any placement learning about whatever I think the new thing is. Like, oh, if I think this kid has FASD, I'm like, okay, I'm now an expert on FASD because I have spent 30 hours on Google reading everything mm-hmm. I can find. Or, oh, I think this child might have an attachment disorder. Let me look up everything mm-hmm. I can, you know. So I would definitely seek that out if, um, if mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to do that. So I wanted to ask you a question as an um, African-American. And, you know, we're friends. And <laughs> I think I brought this up before. Do you? How do you feel, say, if you get... Um, a child of color, mm-hmm. and this is just me, yeah. with a different hair texture. 
I watched the video of uh, a white foster mom, and I shared this with you guys before. And she was like, I don't know, but I want to teach myself, and we're going to learn together. So how does that resonate with you? That was exactly team? what happened with me. And I felt a lot of pressure with... Um, so my beloved baby boy had hair texture like mine, mm -hmm. so I was not presented with that challenge with my first long placement. Mm -hmm. We're in our second long placement now, and in between we had shorter placements. All of those littles had African-American hair, mm -hmm. and I felt a lot of pressure to do it right mm -hmm. because I did not want to take a little man out in public and have his hair not be on point mm -hmm. and be looked at like you're not taking care of your baby. Mm -hmm. um, as a white woman, I'm a white presenting woman, and I had African-American baby boys, mm -hmm. and I wanted them to look right. So I did a lot of research, because that's what I do, I <laughs> right? So I spent a lot of time on YouTube tutorials and foster parent um, mm -hmm. you know, Facebook pages and websites, and I, um, I got different products, and I tried the different products on little man's hair, mm -hmm. and I came to some products that I think work well, and I kind of practice with some styles. So it's hard. I have to laugh though because I have to laugh because with our current littles, um, the first video call with mom, first thing out of her mouth is what is going on with your hair? <laughs> yes. And the reason why I asked because being an African, y'all know y'all tease me all the time. Like, okay, Bernita, when the hairstyle you have this week, that our hair is our is a big thing. It's a big deal. It's a big deal yeah. Do you have anything else that you feel like the child welfare system could do better for foster parents or for parents who are looking to reunify? Oh boy, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a big list. <laughs> um, I guess top of mind really is just prepare foster parents for what they're going to experience. Inform mm -hmm. them the best you can about what's going on with the cases because you know, that uncertainty of not knowing is so difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I think some grief resources and just recognizing the grief that mm -hmm. foster parents go through um, and recognizing that, you know, even those of us who are not here to grow our families, we still go through the grief. Mm -hmm. and, and literally, if we're not going through the grief, we're not doing this right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, arm us with some tools to deal with that mm -hmm. and support us through it. I think all of that would be great. Um, and then absolutely for the parents that are going through this, you know, I think we need to locate services in neighborhoods where mm -hmm. those parents live because you know, our transportation system is not adequate to getting them where they need to go. Um, when we were a one car family, just trying to get around with kids was a challenge. So mm -hmm. I recognize that, you know, it's really hard to get to, you know, where mental health counseling happens or where substance treatment mm -hmm. happens. And then, God forbid that you're on methadone mm -hmm. um, and trying to get to that with little kids. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that is a lot. And, you know, just I, I think if we can all give each other a little more grace, mm -hmm. we could all come out of this better. Mm -hmm. I agree. Thank you, Hannah, for being our guest for today's show. Well, guys, we have come to the end of this podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Child Welfare Chronicles and on Twitter at CW Chronicles. You could also send us an email at childwelfarechronicles at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.